Is the earth round or flat? You're listening to Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia, Episode 7, Flat Earth. Hey, Race. Hi, Tyler. How are you? I am doing so good. I'm so glad. I am so excited for our episode today. Oh, me too. I have the biggest smile on my face. (laughs) I'm so excited because we have another special guest this week on the podcast. And I would like to welcome my brother, Jeremy Moore, to the podcast this week. Jeremy, how's it going? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. (laughs) We're really glad to have you. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone's applauding that's listening right now. They're also applauding. Um, so I'll just give you a little introduction before we get started. Jeremy is my younger brother, and he was the only other person in our family besides me to be born in St. Louis, Missouri. Jeremy lived in Armenia as an LDS missionary from 2012 to 2014. I think I have that right. And as a result, he's fluent Armenian. He graduated from BYU with a degree in economics, like the best of us. And he and his wife, Heather, are on a mission to visit all of the United States national parks. They have been to 22 of the 62. Do I have that number right? I think it's 23. 23. Well, I'm holding out on counting the St. Louis Gateway Arch. Um, That's a conversation for another day, but I I personally reject it as a national park. So 22 (laughs) is correct. (laughs) Okay, good. Uh, Jeremy is one of the smartest people that I know, and he has very illuminating conversation. You cannot leave a conversation with Jeremy without feeling like you've learned something very important about the world. And he has introduced me to some very complex topics. I think as a reader, I have a tendency to kind of go quickly through a lot of Wikipedia articles so that I can just get on to the next one. But Jeremy has often said, like, slow down, go back to this one, because there's a lot going on here. And today's topic of flat earth is a critical example of that. That's one that I thought I knew what the deal with flat earth theory was, but all of a sudden Jeremy had all this like hours and hours of research about it. And I I had no idea. We didn't even scratch the surface with everything that it means. So very excited to have Jeremy on here to talk about flat earth today. Um, However, before we get started, I do have a getting to know you question for all of us. And we have an interesting coincidence here today in that all three of us on the podcast um, are very into nature. I think we're all, we all really enjoy the planet Earth. We all enjoy being outdoors. So my question for both of you guys is, what is the most beautiful place you've ever been? I think I know. There is a, uh, a river in my part of eastern Arizona called the Black River, which flows into another river called the White River and forms, not the Gray River for reasons that I will never understand, but forms the Salt <laughs> River, which then flows down through like the Phoenix area. And um, anyway, so it's this very beautiful little river and there's a um, particular bend in that river that you have to hike to. My brother and I have backpacked to it a number of times. 
and there's these really tall cliffs and there's like ferns growing at the base of the cliff along the river and it's a really beautiful spot and um my brother and i like i said have gone there a few times and it's kind of like my happy place in my mind and when i was studying uh -huh. for the bar exam this summer and just even in law school like during finals um it would be hard to sleep sometimes. Like, I mean, as you can imagine the night before the bar exam is kind of hard to like, just shut your brain down. And so in my mind, I would just go back to that place. Just like imagine that I was walking up to it and like being there fishing with my brother. So that I think is the most beautiful place I've ever been. I mean, I don't want to cheat, right? I, I hate when people cheat on get to know you questions. I think a good answer for me is like, what's the most beautiful or a good question for me is what's the most beautiful place I've been to in the last six months, okay. because I just have so many, I think for an overall <clears throat> beautiful place, I'm going to go with observation point in Zion Canyon, which is in Zion national park and, and races explanation inspired me. I think when you think, or when I think about beauty, I don't just think of mm. the aesthetic I think about what did it take me to get to that view? And is that something that not everybody gets to do? Or is that effort that not everyone is willing to expend? So I went to Rocky Mountain National Park uh, in the fall colors a few months ago. That was gorgeous. The, the waterfalls in Hawaii are beautiful. But I think Observation Point you know, it's not, it's not a life ending hike, but I think the effort that it requires is why it sits at the top of my list right now. Oh, that's awesome. I love observation point. And every time I hear about people going to Zion and they say, Oh, we went to hike angels landing. I think you should have gone a little bit further <laughs> up the way because observation yeah. point is incredible. And you look down and you can see angels landing and it's like way far below. But that view is amazing. Uh, my own personal answer, none of you are going to be surprised to hear this, but my answer is a place in Spain. And it's on, <laughs> it's on the north coast of Spain, which is near Bilbao. And there is, if you go out to the very far edge of the coast, you'll hit the Bay of Biscay is the big body of water right above Spain. And there is an old cathedral that is built on an island in the bay the cathedral is from the 1100s and it's called san juan de gastelugache and when i went there it was raining and you have to hike like three miles down these cliffs there are these like big cliffs and then there's like a little narrow strip of land that goes out to the island and the cathedral is sitting on the top of the island. And there, it's very rocky. The waves are very treacherous. You look over and you see like a huge monolithic piece of rock that's covered in moss and birds and nothing else is out there. And it kind of feels like you're on the edge of the world. Uh, and like Jeremy said, it's to me, it's so special because I think about the effort required in getting to it. It's off the beaten path. You really have to go out of your way to see it, but very, very worthwhile. So that's my favorite. I'm Googling, place. I'm Googling it now. Sounds, and that's, sounds great. That's a pretty unbelievable place. <laughs> yeah. You can probably see the pictures, right? Yeah. yeah and they don't even, really... you know, it's oh, one of I'm the, sure, yeah. like, 
because I had seen it too before I went. I was like, oh, what's there to see up there? And someone said, go to San Juan de Gazdalugacha. And I just was unbelievable. Like, I just couldn't believe it when I actually got there. We'll have to share a picture of all three of our places on our oh, that's uh, social media accounts. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that. Absolutely cool. All right. So today we are talking about flat earth. And um, this, by the way, I think is something that has kind of come up in recent media. I think it was a couple years ago and some basketball player said, like, I don't believe that the earth is round. And it kind of caused a media frenzy. All of a sudden people were talking about flat earth and more and more people started reading about it. Uh, and one of those people was Jeremy. And Jeremy, you have some personal experience about with flat earth, right? So what is this? What is- yeah, that's correct. Yeah, like you said, I, I think I became as inspired as anybody else when uh, Kyrie Irving claimed that the earth was flat. So I did some research of my own, but then it was put to the test. I joined a job about 13 months ago and a, a coworker on my own team, so a very close coworker. Um, I have to qualify this. He is not a flat earther. Um, from his experience and his research, he is 100% convinced that the earth is not round. It's not a sphere, but he's not willing to commit to what it is. But he says flat makes enough sense. So he's not an official flat earther, but he might as well be. And we have had some interesting conversations does that make him... and some less interesting. <laughs> does ahead. that make him flat Gnostic? <laughs> I'm trying to think of what other shape it could be. Like a, a what else could it be? Or a a cube? I don't know. He... Uh, in my deep dive, no. I found a Twitter account for the Taco Earth Society, <laughs> um, but but no actual research behind it. Right? It seemed very much a parody. Okay. Uh, but yeah, so so I have some direct experience with this. Uh, lots of background research. And I, I think we should just start from the beginning. Um, the flat earth essentially, imagine that you took a globe and just sort of undid it from the bottom, right? And sort of unwrapped the globe from the sphere and you know slapped it flat on a table and pinched some of the waters together, maybe added some ocean where there, there might not have been because you had it wrapped around a globe. Um, and then the, the North Pole is at the center. And then around the edge of the flat Earth is what we conceive, or sorry, perceive as uh, Antarctica is actually an ice wall that surrounds the flat Earth and holds the ocean in, right? Prevents it from falling over the edge. Um, now, the sun and the moon uh, don't don't rotate around the earth so much as they are spotlights suspended above the flat earth and they're spotlights. So they only illuminate a section of the earth at a time. And then they sort of rotate, they circle around each other that gives you this perception of night and day and time zones. Um, (laughs) This is, well, I should take one step back. Flat Earth Society is not really an organized society, uh, from what I can tell. Flat Earthers are not necessarily 
a, a unified, cohesive group, right? So in conversations with my coworker, I'll bring up something about flat earthers and he'll say, that's the idea of the idiot flat earthers. That's not coming from the educated flat earthers. According to him, there's a very small group of well-educated, well-researched flat earthers, and then a lot of idiots who have taken the basics and essentially run with, run with it, run over science and logic and reason and made the rest of them look very bad, right? So some of the things that we'll talk about, you know, your flat earth listeners may say, I don't actually believe in that, or I don't agree with that. And there's no doctrine, there's no canon of flat earth. Um, but with the moon and the sun spotlighting the earth, rotating around the top, there also has to be an invisible anti-moon, which passes between the moon and the earth and causes lunar eclipses and lunar phases. And then above the flat earth, the sun, the moon, and the anti-moon, up higher are the stars, which also rotate, right? Which gives us, you know, the different constellations that you can see based on location and time. Um, now, gravity is not real. And that's a point of flat earth theory. Uh, it's not necessarily important to them so much as an answer for a lot of questions that flat earthers pose to us spherical earth believers. They say, well, if the earth is a sphere, why don't you fall off the bottom? And the answer is gravity. And they say, I, I don't agree with gravity. I don't believe in gravity. There's no real reason that you can't have gravity in a flat earth. But gravity accounts for the shape of planets, the solar system, the galaxy, you know, a lot of things that make sense to us make sense because of gravity. And it can be a difficult concept to believe or comprehend at its foundation. And so they reject it. Um, the flat earth is accelerating upward infinitely, right? It's propelled, and again, this is probably something that a lot of flat earthers may or may not even know, much less agree with, but it's propelled by something called dark energy, and it's infinitely accelerating upward. And this is, this is my favorite line from LiveScience.com writing an article about flat earth. They say, currently, there is disagreement among flat earthers about whether or not Einstein's theory of relativity permits the earth to accelerate upward indefinitely without the planet eventually surpassing the speed of light. So <laughs> I feel like I have to let that sink in. Um, but while you're stewing on that, I'll say, you know, I don't have a good reason for why the earth needs to be accelerating infinitely upward. People have said that it's that upward force that keeps you from just floating off into space, to which my response is, what are the rules of space anymore, right? If we don't need gravity, what's to say that we would even fly away if we were not being forced downward, sort of like riding in an elevator upward? So I, I have a question. So does that mean that this, obviously that means that the stars and the spotlight, sun and moon and anti-moon are also moving, correct? I think that has to be correct. Because right? we'd run into them eventually, right? Yeah, and what happens to the rest of the planets, right? Um, 
there was a, an incident a few years ago where Elon Musk tweeted at the Flat Earth Society on Twitter asking about flat Mars. And they responded and said, actually, Mars is round. And so the perception of the rest of the solar system is not something that's well documented by flat earthers. Well, I have a question about that too, because, and this is something that I don't think is like immediately perceptible, but I've, I've kind of thought about this a little bit. First of all, there's a difference between the earth being round and the earth being spherical. And the uh-huh. model, as you've described it, is round. It's a disc, right? It's a circle shape. Yeah. Even though it's... Well, <laughs> or uh, it again, to get back to those contentions, I've read that some flat earthers think that it's a diamond. Oh. And I don't know why they think that, <laughs> but it's out there on the internet. Well, that's what I was going to say. It's like, if you believe that the earth is two-dimensional then why would you believe that it's a circle? If you think like, okay, it's possible to go all the way around this thing, that doesn't necessarily mean that the ice wall keeping it all in has to be circle shaped. Yeah, so say that a flat earther were to sail a ship down to Antarctica and then just sail around the edge. I think because they don't necessarily run into any like sharp corners, most of them agree that the earth is round. Now I'm not saying that that, that they've Ah. actually done that, but I think if you're to take Antarctica and turn it kind of invert it into an ice wall, you know, I've never been there. Maybe there are some sharp corners, but I think it would be more obvious that you were running into the corner of a square or a diamond and instead not just circling the edge of a circle. Okay, yeah, that means. And well, the other thing is, if you believe that the Earth is flat and that it's two dimensional, what is under it? What's under the ground? <laughs> like, if you dig all the way down, do you fall out? Yeah, here's here's another great quote. Yeah, from from Live Science. Um, they're not sold right. They're not unified on the depth of the Earth or what's beneath it, right? My coworker thinks it's laughable that scientists can tell you what's at the core of the earth, right? There's an iron core, and then there's a liquid iron core. Um, Flat earthers, when asked what's beneath the earth, say probably rocks. Okay. (laughs) That's it. Good answer, yeah. Well, that's the thing is that like, It's not two-dimensional. If it was two-dimensional, you would poke a hole in it and you fall out the other side. So apparently it's three-dimensional, right? And if you're... Yeah, it should be called cylindrical earth. It's cylindrical prism, right? Like, that is a three-dimensional object. Yeah. Yeah. It's an apple pie. That's fair. Um, Okay, so moving forward, here are some questions about flat earth or some aspects of the earth around me that I don't have a flat earth answer for. Right. And you might come back and say what you've just explained to us are far from answers. And I would agree, but I haven't heard anything out of the mouth of a flat earther about uh, the next three things. The first is seasons, right? We spherical earth believers understand that the earth tilts and it tilts either you know, where you're living is either tilted away from or towards the sun. 
and that that causes the seasons. There's no flat earth explanation for that. And kind of along the same line, why, if you go to the North pole, does it, does the sun never set or the sun never rise during summer or winter? Right. And then my favorite one that I still need to find out is compass directions, right? So if the North pole, excuse me, is at the center of the flat earth, where is South, right? Because it's not converging on the South pole, the magnetic pole, not, not the geographic pole. Does South just point towards the ice wall? And if you follow South and you end at the ice wall, then what happens? Now, now you're South. There are infinite points of the South pole. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. That's a weird one. And it feels like, it feels like that would be easy to disprove. Like if you're walking South with a compass it's going to take you a different direction on the flat earth model than it would on the globe. Right. Yeah. Or like I said, I don't have on the flat earth model. It's just taking you to the ice wall. So there's not, I don't know. This is hard. I guess we'll, we'll talk more about uh, compass directions and about Antarctica and, and the general idea of South. Okay. So yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of the logistics of the flat earth model. Um, I'm sure that I've insulted all of your flat earth listeners and they've already hung up. Um, but I'm also sure that there are parts that I'm missing or forgetting. Um, do you guys have any additional questions about the logistics before we get into where this came from, the history of flat earth? Oh, I have a quick question actually about the anti-moon. Why, <laughs> sure. why is there an anti-moon? What does that explain? The phases of the moon are explained by the positioning of the moon in relation to the earth, right? Okay, yeah. Because the earth and is so casting if, shadow on the moon. Is that how that works? That's definitely how a lunar eclipse oh, works. Okay. And I believe that the lunar phases are something along the same line. But essentially, if the moon is a spotlight above the earth that is... Um, you know, opposite the spotlight of the sun and the two are never crossing. That makes no sense in a flat earth. And there's nothing between the moon and the earth. Then we need an explanation for why the moon goes dark um, during lunar phases or eclipses. Anti-moon. It's invisible. That's very, but it casts a shadow. I really like that answer. Uh, You have to hand it to him, I think. Yeah. I agree. <laughs> okay, so flat earth history, it's kind of, well, let's talk modern flat earth history, right? And this is something where I have to give a shout out to Wikipedia. Uh, number one, they separate flat earth, the article from modern flat earth. Mm. Um, so as not to insult the intelligence of the people who were on the earth so long ago that it wasn't reasonable to expect them to know that the earth was a sphere, mm, right? Yeah. And this is the opening line of modern flat earth societies, the article. Modern flat earth societies are organizations that promote the pseudoscientific belief that the earth is flat while denying the earth's sphericity, contrary to over two millennia of scientific consensus. Whoa. So whoever wrote that, 
uh, gets props from me, came out guns blazing, right? <laughs> Made no bones about what the article was going to be. But as far as we know, flat earth history, do you guys have any guesses as to how old it is? Modern flat earth belief? I have no idea. I mean, like Tyler said, I feel like it's come on my radar in the last few years. So like definitely like, you know, since I graduated high school, that would be the very earliest that I could think that this came about. I would, I would never have said if you'd asked me in 2005 that there was, there were people who like a, a group of people who believed this. What about you, Tyler? Any guesses? Same. For me, I think, I think the first time I had ever heard Flat Earth seriously considered was that basketball player from a few years ago. That must have been 2018, right? And I watched a clip yeah. that came out right after that of Neil deGrasse Tyson explaining why the Earth is not flat. And I never thought I would see anything <laughs> right. like that on the internet. Yeah. So flat That's earth history, I, go ahead. I think the most hate we're going to get from this episode is Tyler calling Kyrie Irving. That <laughs> <episode>. <laughs> I'm really in the wrong crowd right now. You know, I wasn't going to say anything, but we're recording during the NBA draft. <laughs> oh, no. and, and I love that. I personally don't care about it. I'm not missing out on anything. Whoever's <laughs> listening has already seen the results of the draft, but the fact that this was on your schedule with no nothing I didn't even, <laughs> nothing else on your mind. Did not know. This is very telling. <laughs> All right. Okay, I mean, so here's fair, I had to Google it, but <laughs> here's the bomb. Uh, flat Earth history is almost two hundred years old. Okay. Samuel Robotham. Uh, lived in the mid-1800s, and he performed an experiment called the Bedford-level experiment. And apparently the Bedford is um, a canal, or it might be a natural river. I believe it's in England, and it runs very, very straight for a long period of time. And so Samuel Robotham saw this as a perfect place to perform an experiment on the curvature of the earth, right? So the earth was widely accepted as spherical at this point, And we you know, knew the circumference of the earth and we knew measurements about you know, the angular curvature. And so he was taking these measurements and putting them to the test, looking at if a, if a boat sails away from me, at which distances should the flag on the mast of the boat be the audio corrupts during this explanation of Robotham's experiment. But to summarize, he's sending a boat down this very straight river or canal it goes very straight for a long distance. And he's watching and observing, measuring the height of the flag on the mast of the ship as the boat sails away from him, right? With the curvature of the earth, the boat should dip below the horizon. And as it starts to do so, the mast should get closer and closer to the surface of the water where he is observing from. 
And as he's measuring, he says that the numbers are wrong. And so he, he did this experiment and he said, it doesn't add up. The numbers are wrong. The earth must be flat. And it turned out that experiment was actually replicated um, a few years after, after he published his results. And it turned out that he wasn't starting from a high enough point. And so as the boat went away from him, he was getting the refraction of the atmosphere because he had started with the, the flag on the mast being too low. But this was his experiment. This was his starting point, even though it was later disproved. And he wrote a book called Earth, Not a Globe. And as far as I can tell, he's English, right? So I don't know why it's not, well, it Earth might be is not like, a globe. You know, in England, they call it like, it's just called upon Earth, Not a Globe. Maybe it's like, that's, the, that's like the name of the Earth, Earth, Not a Globe. Exactly. And this is the first, you know, document where you start to see these ideas of the sun and the moon or spotlights above the earth. He has measurements for how high above the earth they are. You know, I haven't read it, so I, I don't know how he gets to those conclusions. But this is all in the mid 1800s. He dies and the movement pretty much dies with him. And it doesn't come about again until 1956 is the International Flat Earth Society. And you actually have a bit of a different flavor because in 1956, there are satellite images of the earth that they are rejecting as a hoax upon the societies, upon the people of the earth. So it's very different. It's not necessarily measured. Um, it's more of a conspiracy theory and you get the Bible brought into it. These people, this society claims that there are biblical verses which show that the earth is flat. And now I've done some research into what those biblical verses are. And as best as I can tell, a good summary is like the Bible describes the earth as firm and immovable and as, as God sitting above the earth on his throne, right? At this point, the audio becomes corrupted, but Jeremy references another Bible verse that talks about how the earth accelerates upward infinitely propelled by dark energy. We quickly realized that this was a joke. And then you have Proverbs 3.20, which says <laughs> I, I the earth accelerates that. upward infinitely <laughs> propelled by I dark energy. Close. <laughs> <laughs> Um, Wikipedia is not clear on when the International Flat Earth Society dies out, but it does die out, and then it's reborn okay. in 2009, is the most modern Flat Earth, the one that, you know, you and I think of, 2009. Wikipedia estimates the membership of the Flat Earth Society, the modern society, as 500 members, which I have to say... For me to know one, I mean, now granted, he may not be an actual member because the earth could be anything, yeah. but it's definitely not a sphere. But that feels low to me. I feel like it's accelerated just based on the I instances too, that we come about, come across in daily you life. <laughs> yeah, it, it, you know, Wikipedia breaks it into America and Canada and Italy, I believe, are the three countries that it lists as having their own flat earth societies, but it does seem quite localized. And, you know, there's no Bible verses being thrown around on Twitter. 
Um, it's very much a conspiracy theory, more so than a scientific theory for reasons that we'll get into. And I think if I were to sum it up in one phrase, I would say that flat earthers think, if I can't comprehend it, it must not be true, right? Now, I don't know how they comprehend dark matter, but when I spoke to my coworker, he said, you expect me to believe that I'm, you know, say we're in Australia, I'm on the bottom of the spherical earth, I'm not falling off, I'm rotating upon my own axis, and I'm also hurtling through space at a speed that I cannot comprehend around the sun, you know, millions of miles away, and I'm not just being thrown into the vacuum of space. You expect me to believe that? And I said, yeah. <laughs> and he says, I, I, I reject that, right? He also rejects, he rejects religion, right? He rejects the notion of God having created the earth and sort of lording over it, but also rejects the Big Bang. Um, you know, there's no way for scientists to know the origin of the universe and that it all came about from this one supercharged particle. And so I ask him, that's fine. What's the origin of the universe? You know, no one actually knows. They give their best guesses. And he said, I don't know. He doesn't have anything, but he doesn't like what everybody else has. Yeah, so therefore very, it can't be true. It has to be something, but he's not going to go find out where it is. It's like anything that I don't know. The only things that are true are what I know. Well, and Tyler, I don't know yeah. if you meant to use the word solipsism, but I that, mean, that literally means you think you're this. Then, yeah, I mean that's literally what we're discussing. Um, I also think, yeah. So one of my favorite phrases that I picked up from a professor in law school was, "It takes a theory to beat a theory," um, which I I think is some good sense for living in the world. Like you don't have to like what I'm saying, but if if you're going to challenge it, you need to like be able to substitute it with something else, which um, as you pointed out, kind of isn't the case here, at least in some, some aspects of the flat earth theory. So this uh, I think brings up an interesting um, point of discussion, which is, you know, as much as we can sit here and say flat earth is kind of a silly idea at the same time, I think most people in the United States, most people listening to this podcast, me included, we probably don't know why the earth has to be a sphere. And if you ask me to prove it, I don't know if I could explain it. So how do we know that the earth has to be a sphere besides going into space and looking at it? Like, how did they know in the past? Yeah, that's, it's not necessarily a point where I give credit to the flat earthers. I do like that flat earthers challenge the status quo and too many people, if you say, how do you know the earth is round? They say, school taught me so. It's always been round. And I think that it's good for us to challenge that and really think about it. But it's tricky because there's, actual, there's not actually a record of the first time that the earth was proven round. I should qualify that statement. So ancient Greece is where we find the earliest mention of the earth being spherical. This is fifth century BC, but no one can find in their records how they came to that conclusion. 
And around the same time in history, the Phoenician circumnavigation of Africa is credited as a source of the spherical earth idea. But again, there's no record as to why they thought that. Now, the best guess, the best educated guess as to why the first people said the earth has some curve to it is likely seafarers that are looking at the horizon, right? And they're seeing ships sort of rise up out of the water and mm. disappear below the horizon uh, is, you know, widely accredited. I shouldn't say widely because it was harder to find, but accredited as being the most likely first source of realizing that the earth was not flat. Mm. Now, the first person on record to say that the earth is a sphere and to give a reason for it is Aristotle. Do you guys want to venture any guesses as to why he was certain that the earth is a sphere? Uh, I wonder about some kind of astronomy, if it has to do with the position maybe of the stars in the sky or like the sun. See, you know, That's I exactly right. Okay. Sorry, Race. No, Sorry no. not to steal your thunder, but I don't want to uh, let you answer if I, <laughs> if I know that it's, it's just going to be shot down. <laughs> uh, Aristotle saw different constellation patterns in Egypt than he did in the northern oh, regions. Okay. And he said the Earth must be spherical. And he said it must not be very large, <laughs> which I, I guess I don't know what he was considering as large. The Earth is obviously massive. But for him, for him, he said, to travel such a short distance and see such a change in the stars, I must actually be moving a number of degrees along the arc wow. of the circle, right? Um, Aristotle also noted that the shadow of the Earth during a lunar eclipse was round. And that was another, he, he did not come up with the idea of the anti-moon. He said, the earth must be, must be spherical. Um, but the first, this is my interpretation of history, but I feel like there's a first real proving that the earth is round in um, a non-scientific way, let's call it, a non-measured way. And Race, I, I was unfair to you with uh, Aristotle, <laughs> so I'll give you the first guess. Any idea what that might be in history? So the, like the first kind of, the first reason that was leaned on for it being round that wasn't like Aristotle trying to do measurements or something. Exactly. I mean, I know that when you watch like a ship sail away, which this probably goes along with the Mariner thing you were saying, you can watch it drop. And same with the sun, like when the sun sets, um, behind sets at, at the at the sea or when you have a big kind of field of view you can see the curvature of the earth to a certain degree and watch it disappear over the edge um, but I, I don't know Tyler what about you I kind of feel like uh, like a pragmatic test maybe this is so silly but is the idea that if you've got all these people sailing all over the globe and someone sails around Africa <laughs> and someone sails to Asia and no one's falling off the edge. 
there's no edge. It's that pesky right? ice like, wall. <laughs> yeah. And they haven't seen the ice wall. I don't know. Maybe, you know, prove oh, to fine. me that it is flat, you know? Sure. You're, uh, you're one and a half for two, I'll say. You're along <laughs> the right line, right? So the, the first real event that happened where people said the Earth is definitely a sphere is the circumnavigation of the globe by Magellan and his crew. And this gets into a point that I actually forgot to bring up with the logistics of the flat earth, but you know, you can get on a plane and do what Magellan did, right? A plane can fly around the earth and never see the ice wall, like you said. And the flat earth response to that is that planes are rigged with a a deceptive GPS device that turns the, the flight, the plane, in a direction so that you're flying in a circle and not a straight line, but the pilot thinks he's flying in a straight line. Right. Oh, wait. So the pilot is not in on it. The pilot is also being deceived. Yes. Oh. So it's Boeing. Boeing's behind <laughs> We'll We'll talk about all the people that have to be behind it. Okay. Yeah. But, you know, Magellan is the 15th century. There is no GPS, and I don't think there's a rigged compass. I'm not actually sure. Do you guys know if they used a compass or if they used the stars? Oh, I don't actually know. I want compasses invented. To sail around the Earth in, you know, what can essentially be equated to a straight line. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean that the Earth is a globe. I guess that doesn't mean that the Earth can't be flat but the fact that they said it was means that it is right there's no there's no 600 year old conspiracy theory like if they were able to circumnavigate the globe using the idea that the earth was a sphere then yeah, that's what it is because they does that make sense does that satisfy like you guys picture a sphere versus a circle at this point but yeah i think that makes sense yeah yeah, I think if history were to suggest that the Earth was a disk, right? Or a yeah, cylinder, but he thought he was going. Straight. Then Magellan's records yeah, would okay. say, uh-huh. "Then we turned right, right, instead of then we kept going." Yeah, exactly. And so that brings me to my next point, which is, um, how are we to prove, like you said, how do we know that the Earth is a sphere without going into a spaceship? or trusting the photos that come back from one. And I sort of push back on that question in the way that it, the onus should not necessarily be on me to prove that the earth is a globe. If I can disprove that it's flat, or at least that the flat earth model does not hold water, then I think we can revert back to two millennia of scientific observations because they are there. A lot of them are above my comprehension, right? Like some things that I might say that prove that the flat earth model doesn't work, they may work for a cube earth. And then there are other scientific reasons that a cube earth does not work. But, you know, I haven't been doing this for long enough to know all of the scientific evidence and proof, which Wikipedia is full of, on why you know that it's a sphere. And I've more so focused on why I know that it's definitely not flat. 
And if somebody wants to tell me it's a cube in 10 years, then I guess I'll worry about that next. But, you know, I think that my, my go-to argument that has not gotten a good answer yet is something that race already brought up, which is a sunset. If the sun is a spotlight above the earth, it will never set, right? If you've ever been in a high school play or musical and had a spotlight on you, as it moves away from you, you just go from light to dark and you can still, you can still see the source of light you know, in the sky or in the air above you. It makes no sense for a spotlight sun to set where you can watch the circle become it, it a semicircle and then that, disappear um, below the horizon. That just does not add up. Kyrie Irving was, he has stood in a spotlight in a high school musical or choir. Yeah, quite obvious, right? Economy, <laughs> what we all live in. You either know who Ky- Kyrie Irving is or you won't. <laughs> or you did high school choir. <laughs> I mean, I know where I fall on that. So it works so far. <laughs> I was gonna say, yeah, Jeremy crosses the crosses the aisle. I I can say that I've done both. I think that makes me a Renaissance man. We exist. <laughs> so that's that's how I know that the Earth is not flat, and that's good enough for me. Um, I think the most fun way, uh, the most adventurous way, uh, besides you know writing a letter to NASA that we should go about the three of us proving that the earth is a sphere is I think we all leave from the North pole and we set off in different directions mm. and then we meet at the South yeah, pole that would honestly be really only fun. following a bearing of South. And we right. never turn right. We never turn right. Oh, okay. um, and we're going to have to learn to navigate by the stars because we can't trust compasses or GPS devices. Right. Um, and I think another one that would be maybe a bit simpler and a ton of fun, but also, you know, subject to government interference would be to fly a plane over Antarctica, right? Can you take a straight bearing and, and your pilot just never touches the controls and you go from ocean to ice and to ocean done that, right? and you don't see, you oh, know, yeah. what's on the other yeah, side of the all ice the time. Floor. So something that I was thinking about on the way home to record this podcast today was an image that I've kind of had in my head that I think is kind of appropriate when we talk about um, flat earth science and spherical earth science. And I was imagining what it would be like, you know, thousands and thousands of years ago when we're all cavemen and we live every year and we're, we think that like the seasons seem to be coming and going at a consistent, you know, period of time. It seems like there's like a winter and a summer and everything, but nobody really knows like how long a year would be. So you imagine like a room full of 10 cavemen and like, I'm going to figure out how many days there are in a year. And they all go on their own separate ways to think to like, figure it out. How long is a year? And you come back a year later And nine of the cavemen are like, I'm pretty sure it's 365 days. Like I counted on this rock with a tally mark or I did whatever thing. I I counted in seconds or whatever. I I think I got to about 365. And one of the cavemen in the corner is like, nope, no, it's actually 100 days. 
all you guys are lying. It's a conspiracy, but it's a hundred days. I figured it out. And that to me is what this feels like. It's like, it feels like the whole, (laughs) like the whole history of humanity has been figuring out that the earth is a sphere. And then all of a sudden in the 1950s, somebody's like, no, it's flat. And everybody else is in on a conspiracy. You guys think that it's a sphere, but you're wrong. You're making it up. I think that's a good frame to put that in, Tyler, because some conspiracies like like who killed Kennedy? Well, I think the vice president did it to take his job. That's something that that's different than like something you can go out and like observe and take measurements of and pretty quickly get, like you said, a consensus that just like just by observing things that everyone can see, there's one explanation that makes sense as opposed to, you know, did we fake the moon landing or whatever, like something where it's, it's, it's not, you, you can't go outside and, and, you know, a caveman couldn't figure it out over a lifetime. Um, like you kind of can with, with us, with a spherical earth. Right. And isn't that the thing in the, in this example, the nine cavemen who figured out that the year was 365 days, they don't have a reason to be in a conspiracy. They're all just trying to figure it out on their own terms. And they happen to get the same answer because that is the correct answer. 365 days are in a year. You know, they don't, they don't have a reason to be collaborating. Right. That brings up a really good point with, because I think most people understand that if you want to be a flat earther, right? Like one of your, uh, one of your, uh, induction rituals is that you have to reject the moon landing, right? Um, if the moon landing was real, then the earth is definitely round oh, or spherical. Huh. But even, even if the moon landing's fake, that doesn't necessarily mean that the earth is flat. <laughs> but if you want to be a flat earther, you have to reject the moon landing, right? And that in and of itself has become so complicated because there was a Japanese satellite. It's S-E-L-E-N-E. I I don't know if they call it Selene, but it's a lunar probe. And it took pictures of the equipment that we, the United States, left on the moon. And now, as we know from world history, there's no reason for Japan to ever want to undermine or (laughs) or prove as liars the United States, right? (laughs) (laughs) But... You know, I think if you're going if you're going to talk flat Earth conspiracy and what you have to reject, the two main you know spheres uh, I shouldn't say spheres the two main theaters <laughs> are space and Antarctica, right? Well, oh, so huh. let's start from space. Well, uh, go it, ahead. Isn't there wasn't there isn't there like a lunar reflector that's on the face of the moon that you can that can be seen and like you can bounce a laser off of? I don't know. Google yeah. I, <laughs> oh, this is going to be a good footnote. We can, we, we can move on. I'll, I'll let you know what I find. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. So if you reject space, you, you don't just reject NASA. Um, you also reject Lockheed Martin. And uh, who are some other private companies that send things into space? Raytheon, do they send things to space or are they just defense? Oh, I don't know. Um, what about Verizon? But, with phones you reject verizon yes absolutely and then you reject several world governments do you guys know or do you have a guess as to how many countries have sent something into space oh no uh Uh, 
I think I would have thought just a few, honestly, until you framed it that way. <laughs> but just like into orbit, you mean? Yeah, satellites into space. Yeah, I would say a lot because, I mean, the Russians did it in the 50s and most countries now can match that. To get like out of Earth's orbit would be more difficult, but just to get like a satellite into orbit, I bet it's quite a few. Uh, so the answer is only 10. What? Huh. And then, but the answer for how many nationalities have been to space is 41. Huh. Now, oh. most of them are Soviet or American expeditions or missions, right? But I don't know. I, I guess you could say that the United States and the Soviet Union are the two biggest countries and the ones powerful enough to pay off, you know, 41 different nationalities and keep that conspiracy going. But we're talking about 10 countries at least, right? Maybe I have my number wrong, but already at 10 countries, you have to wonder how do they keep this conspiracy up, right? Who is actually pulling the levers? Why has no one turned on each other in this cartel or mafia? And, and why? You know, why does it matter that the earth is not a sphere, yeah. but that we continue to believe that it is. So in the, in the law, there's a phrase, a Latin phrase, cui bono, and it means who benefits. Oh. And that's, that's exactly what I thought of. You'll, you'll hear it now that I've, that I've said it. If you haven't heard it before, it comes up in, in places. So a, a judge sometimes will say, well, we could do that, but cui bono, like what, to uh-huh. what end, to what point and purpose. And I, I think that's relevant here. Like, whose benefits are served by fooling everyone into thinking the earth is one shape and not another, regardless of what that shape is. Yeah. Because the, the moon landing, I get the why kind of like the JFK assassination, like you said, you know, in, in interstellar, which is so far into the future, they actually have it in their textbooks that the U S faked the moon landing to bankrupt the Soviet union. And I'm like, sure, I can get behind that. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Um, but now the Soviet, I shouldn't say the Soviets, now the Russians are in on it. And so are the Chinese and so are the Indians and so are the Japanese and to what end. And then with Antarctica, you know, you get the same, um, mix of nationalities and countries working together on scientific research in Antarctica, but you also get much deeper into the history book, right? I, I don't know when the actual first crossing of Antarctica was. Shackleton was uh, was setting out to do it when he had kind of his famous disaster, but his team was meant to come from one end down to the South Pole, and he actually sent another team to the other side of Antarctica to drop supply depots for their second half of the trip, for Shackleton's second half, all the way up to the South Pole. Now, the two never met, Right. And those stories are tragic and um, and really inspiring. But we've been all over that continent. And when I brought that up to my coworker, he said, if you go to Antarctica, you know, he, he believes that the ice wall is massive. Right. So massive that you could walk for hundreds of miles towards the edge of it. Right. Towards space and not see the edge of it. Oh, it's which is thick. why it's thick, which is why it's not quite obvious to a plane, I guess. And I said, but people have crossed it. And he said, people have been to government approved and observed regions of the ice wall. And it's like, sure, whose government, 
right? Whose government did that to Shackleton's team? You know, so we're rejecting multiple countries in in space and on Earth. We're rejecting well over a hundred years of history. And then let's, you know, if we go back to the compasses, we're rejecting Magellan, right? I I think the only team that can really pull off this conspiracy is the Illuminati. And I say that knowing nothing about them. I was going to say, are Magellan and Shackleton like distant relatives or do they like, have they inherited some tradition of the conspiracy and they're passing it on? The Knights Templar, right? The, the city of the gold Knights Templar, yeah. beneath Mount well, Rushmore. And the Declaration of Independence. That's right. We and their um, great-great-grandson, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, maybe it's Elon Musk. Elon Musk has Elon taken Musk. my favorite shot at the Flat Earth community, which is not his comment about the round Earth, but apparently, um, what's his company? SpaceX, right? They have built an international space station docking simulator. And in that simulator, they have a switch that can toggle the display of the earth beneath the ISS from spherical to flat. (laughs) (laughs) So I did look it up and the United States has left three devices on the moon. Um, They're called retro let me get this right yeah retro reflectors and their purpose is to do very precise measurement so you can essentially point a laser at it and um, reflect light and light is reflected back to its source and so that's how we measure like the moon's distance from us Um, there's three of them you can um, you can point a laser. you know MIT points lasers at them and measures and that's how we know that the earth or that the moon is moving away from the earth at a rate of three centimeters a year that's when they figured that that's oh, how wow. we know that or that's oh. i mean that's how we have really good data on huh. on the moon and its movement and stuff and we le- we left three the soviet union placed two and then um two there were two failed attempts um and then there's a planned one there was one planned for this summer that um did not happen but yeah there huh. are multiple objects on the moon that you can shine a laser at and it will reflect back to you wow. and give you data that brings me back to a point um, I already told you that my favorite, you know, piece of evidence that disproves the flat earth is a sunset because they're beautiful and they happen every day. You get a nice daily reminder that the earth, earth, not a disc is the name of my next book. Right. <laughs> um, but going back to NASA and how they're liars and they bankrupted the Soviet union and every image of space is computer generated. Uh, NASA actually does stuff that affects us on Earth. Like NASA are the ones who can tell you when the next solar eclipse is going to happen, where it's going to happen, right? They can show you the path of totality and to the minute when the eclipse will reach you. And I I don't know where you guys were positioned when the next when the the most recent one happened. But I got a pretty good experience of a solar eclipse just in my own parking lot from work. And, you know, maybe they are lying about the moon landing and space, but they're not frauds because they know something about what's going to happen that you can measure and record and experience in your own backyard. Yeah, there has to be something to that, right? Like, like with the caveman example, it's like, 
the caveman is going to tell you, okay, summer starts in June. And the one who's like, no, it's not. It's not going to start in June. The year is only 100 days long. Well, he cannot tell you when the summer is going to start, but the rest of them can. Yeah. yeah. You know? That's cool. I think uh, Flat Earth, when I first uh, read those tweets a couple years ago by Kyrie Irving, uh, it really, <laughs> really struck me at the time because, and I watched those clips. I remember Bill Nye did a clip too. It was like all about how to prove that the earth is round. And I just sat there thinking like, so cynically, like what have we turned into as a society? You know, I think uh, all of us listening to this podcast benefit from having been born after the 1700s with the age of enlightenment. We take for granted, I think, like a fundamental trust of the sciences. And for me, the first time I saw that tweet was one of the times that all of a sudden the trust in the sciences was just kind of shattered. I was like, why don't people believe this anymore? And it's just because they want to have this conspiracy energy or they're just skeptical about like a solipsistic way. They, they don't believe what they can't understand. But like uh, Jeremy pointed out, I think the energy behind the flat earth model in questioning things that you have taken for granted your whole life, you've, you've just thought of them as true. That is genuinely a great thing. I think for me, I was fascinated to, to think like, why is the earth round? I'd never been asked that before. And it's something that I couldn't have proven before. So to have to reflect inwardly, I think is really beneficial, but it does bring me back to the model of the sciences, which is just that this industry does not have an incentive to collude against you. And that's why I think, uh, that's why I think we really benefit from the sciences in our day and age because they usually get it right, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That, I think that brings me to my last point about like, why does flat earth actually matter? You and I both find it very satisfying and maybe validating to actually question it, to challenge it and to come back with a satisfactory answer. But I ask my coworker, you know, you and I live in the same place. We're, relatively the same age in the same sort of family scenario. We do the exact same job every day, but you think that the earth is flat and that most all of science is a lie, right? I should give a little more background. Um, he's convinced that obviously that the moon landing is fake. 9-11 was an inside job. Uh, dinosaurs never existed and are not real, or I guess uh, fossil evidence of them is not real and that coronavirus was a hoax, but then he got coronavirus and lost his So the audio gets corrupted in this next bit where I'm explaining my coworkers' experience with coronavirus, but to summarize it, originally his stance was that coronavirus is essentially a hoax, a government propaganda, misinformation campaign to control the masses. And then he got coronavirus and lost his sense of taste. And so he changed his stance to where this is clearly not just the flu, but he still retains a stance that there is some sort of government interference going on with coronavirus, that it's probably man-made and has some sort of intention or purpose of either harming or controlling.
the population. And so I said, why, why does all of this matter, right? And I think before coronavirus happened, the answer was, it doesn't, right? I mean, he did not have a satisfactory answer. He was the first to admit that he was just one of the masses, even though he was intellectually aware that almost everything he was being told in school and around him was a lie, that it didn't actually change his behavior, right? But for me, viewing him, right, initially I thought, well, someday my, my kid is going to be really annoyed by his kid mm-hmm. in school, right, for saying that the earth is a disc. And then coronavirus happened, and he refused to change his behavior or put on a mask, right? And that's when it actually became a thing for me, right? That's not to say that all flat earthers are anti-vaxxers or are people who don't believe in coronavirus, but, you know, rejecting all of science has consequences when it comes to, you know, what we do to keep one another safe, right? What we do as a society that interacts with each other so heavily beyond just arguing. I also think there's, there's something really symbolic about rejecting the earth being round or being a sphere, because that is so, that's like, that's like the maxim of like a provable thing. Like, well, like it was the earth round, you know? And so to, to have a, a kind of mobilized movement, I guess that's redundant, but like an, an energized group of people who are saying this most basic thing, most basic thing that you could think of that everybody agrees on. Like I said, if, in 2005, if you'd said, what's something that everybody on earth agrees on? I think, a lot of people would have said well, the earth is round or, you know, like sun sets in the, or rises in the east, sets in the west. Um, <laughs> and so I don't, I maybe I'm not the person to say what it means, but it, it does feel kind of like the ultimate, um, like, um, blow at something just to attack something that basic because the moon landing, okay, fine. That might shake America's national pride or whatever, or, or to say that, you know, you know, whatever government conspiracy there might be, but to say like the shape of the earth that we all sit on, that just to me feels really, um, really deep, like a deep seated, almost like on a, on a psychological level, um, rejection of traditional wisdom. Yeah, there was a a flat earth convention where somebody administered a test and what they didn't realize is that they were being tested for um, psychological traits of cult followers. Uh, They, you know, they were being questioned on their flat earth beliefs or, or understanding. And what came out was that, you know, they fall into those lines of of people who end up in you cults. You cannot accept flat earth without rejecting so many other things. You can't believe in flat earth unless you reject gravity. You have to reject the idea that the sun is also a sphere and that the moon is a sphere. Like you have to seriously disregard everything that you've taken into account of scientific knowledge your whole day. Yeah, I don't believe it anymore. A few footnotes before we close out the episode today. Earlier, Jeremy made a comment that gravity accounts for the shape of planets. Gravity is a natural phenomenon by which objects in space that have mass 
are brought towards one another. If you imagine the core of the Earth surrounded by planetary matter, and all of the matter moves towards the core as its center, then what results is a spherical shape. And this is not a perfect metaphor, by the way, and in reality, the Earth is not a perfect sphere, but is more of an ellipsoid. This means that there is no single value for the radius of the Earth, because different points on the globe are farther away from the center than others are. There's an interesting side effect to this reality. Chimborazo is a volcano which is the highest mountain in Ecuador. Because the Earth is not a perfect sphere and it bulges outward along the equator, the summit of Chimborazo is actually the farthest point on the Earth's surface away from the Earth's center. Even though Mount Everest, along with many other mountains, is much taller. We also talked about how flat earth theory cannot account for the phases of the moon, at least without inventing the idea of an anti-moon. In reality, the phases of the moon occur because the moon revolves around the globe. When the moon is located on the side of the globe away from the sun, then all of the sun's light illuminates the moon at nighttime, even though the nighttime side of the earth is faced away from the sun. As the moon revolves, it eventually moves towards the side of the earth that the sun is also on. When that happens, there's no sunlight on the side of the moon that we can see, and the moon is known as a new moon. This is a little bit tricky to talk about in words, but the Wikipedia page called Lunar Phase has a few helpful diagrams which also illustrate this concept. We also have attached one of these diagrams to the social media posts for the episode. Lastly, we discussed Magellan's circumnavigation of the globe in 1521, and Jeremy asked if Magellan would have used a compass to complete the trip. The compass was invented in China over 2,000 years ago, but it was not until 1300 AD that it was available as a navigational tool in Europe. Still, this means that it would have been around for 200 years before explorers such as Magellan, and it is likely that Magellan used a combination of a compass as well as star charts to navigate his ships. That's all for today. If you'd like to follow or message the show, check out at Grace and Tyler Pod on Twitter, at Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia on Instagram, or you can email us at Race and Tyler Talk Wikipedia at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.